Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I were recording this week's show on Tuesday, December 15th, 2020, just 10 days till Christmas, Drew. Oh my god, Jim. Don't tell me this. You're actually a place that's about to get some significant snow, aren't you? Yeah, we're we're looking at 17 inches tomorrow, so I am not in L.A. is what I'm trying to tell you, Jim. Oh, my God. Um, okay. We're, yeah. We're only supposed to get 6 to 12. You're really getting pounded. Yeah, we're going to get hammered. 80% chance of power outages, Jim. This is why I said, let's record today. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a certain fly-by-night quality to today's show. There's a reason. <laughs> All right, a uh, couple of things before we get started here again, uh, 10 days out from Christmas. And have you been over to YouTube lately to see the some of the holiday animation that's popping up over there? Or No, I, I did. I saw the Goo Goo Dolls thing, but I haven't watched it yet. Okay, well, it's good that you mentioned that because there's a, a Goo Goo Dolls song, You Ain't Getting Nothing for Christmas, that's actually animated in the Chuck Jones style. Uh, definitely worth checking out. But... There's some other animation that's turned up, and I've been trying to get some info on it. It's listed as official videos for Bing Crosby. Uh, for example, there's a wonderful one of Bing Crosby and the Andrew Sisters doing Melikaliki Maka, the Hawaiian way of, of singing Christmas. Really nicely done. There's also a Frank Sinatra version of Jingle Bells that's fairly decent. I mean, some of the stuff is less inspired versions of Flash, but they're listed as official videos. And so and every so often you'll come across a reference to Capitol Records. So I'm wondering if some enterprising guy or gal at Capitol decided, well, this is another way to take our old music library and make it seem that much more current. But the one I really want you to check out, Drew, there's one for Brenda Lee, uh, a version, an animated version of Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. And Starts out, you know, fairly okay, but as you start to pay attention to what's going on in the background, you realize, wait a minute, that's the house from Home Alone, and that's the kid from A Christmas Story, and that's Clark from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and then it just it gets really meta. At one point, you see poor George Bailey on the bridge at Bedford Falls, and he actually gets hit by the bus that Brenda Lee is traveling on. This sounds bizarre, Jim. It is. It actually ends with you in the skyscraper from Die Hard. You look and John McClane is dangling off of the side of the building. So it's all these nuts to all of these, these holiday films. In fact, there's this, remember the cab ride from Scrooge with Buster Oh, with Poindexter? Dexter Poindexter? There we go. Yes. It, yeah. it, it's, it's Bill Murray in the back and Buster up front. But again, he yep. just rolls through a scene. So, but th that's worth checking out. I love that. Also, folks, 10 Days of Christmas, if you hunt for the animation fan, you know, you can't go wrong with buying them a copy of Pixar's Art of Onward. It's on everybody's Christmas list, Jim. But something else that should be on everyone's Christmas list, especially for the animation fans, Tex Avery Screwball Classics Volume 2 finally went on sale today, December 15th. Also, the nice folks at Arnold Leibovat Entertainment sent me a copy of the Puppetoons movie, Volume 2. Have you ever seen any of these, the George no. Pell shorts? They sound familiar, but I have not seen the, uh, the collections yet. George, you know, prior to doing films like War of the Worlds and that sort of thing, was a master of, of stop motion. I mean, he worked with the wooden puppets. In fact, that's the thing that just... 
you know, when you know animation and the labor that goes into them, these are insane. Now, it's, this is a kind of problematic collection because a number of these can't be shown on television today because of Jasper's Close Shave, which is a little black boy who, you know, and again, it's, it's 40s-style humor and really leans into the stereotype. But that doesn't take away from the craft. So right. know, if you get the chance, check these out. And likewise, Tex Avery Scooball Classic, if, if only to see perhaps the greatest short subject ever made, and that is Little Rural Riding Hood, which is kind of where we got Jessica Rabbit. Speaking of memorable female animated characters, Hilda. Season two of Hilda just started yesterday on Netflix, right? 13 Oh, yeah. I, Jim, I've been so out of it that I have not been keeping up with Hilda, but mm -hmm. God, I love Hilda. It's the best. So well, I will be checking this out immediately. They mentioned as part of the, the rollout of these 13 that there's a 70-minute movie in the works. Had you heard anything about that? Oh, wow. No. When is that supposed to happen? No idea. They just sort of tossed it out there. Now, mind you, uh, as long as we're talking about Netflix in the holiday season, did you, did you see the press release that dropped for Robin Robin? Yeah, I, I am so excited. I, I'm glad that Ardman has a partner in Netflix because it means they won't get bounced around or messed with, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about that. I saw Jillian Anderson is in it. Yep. Richard E. Grant. It sounds very cute. Yeah. The, the log line for this has when her egg fortuitously rolls into a rubbish dump, Robin is raised by a loving family of mice. As she grows up, her differences become more apparent. Robin sets off on a heist to end all heists to prove to her family that she is a really good mouse, but discovers who she really is. Sounds very much like my life, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, you've been far from home for almost a week, 10 days at this point? Or? Yeah. Yeah, a week and a few days. Yeah. Did you manage to sit in on or listen in on the Investor's Day presentation? Oh, yeah, I was I was working the entire night. So I was working until about 9 o'clock our time because it didn't start until 4.30. Mm -hmm. God, there was just so much stuff. It was crazy. In a lot of ways, what was nice about the Disney's Investor Day presentation is it basically took the cuffs off of you for a lot of different stuff you've been sitting on for a while. <laughs> yeah. I was like, thank God I can talk about these things now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all knew about, you know, Ray and the Last Dragon. We've crept it forward the release date by a week, so it's now coming out March 5th. Were you aware of, of the idea of it being released theatrically and the premium access thing at Disney Plus? Or? I didn't know about that specifically. I assumed that it was that there was going to be something released mm -hmm. like that because of the Warner Brothers announcement that happened two weeks ago now. Okay. So I knew that there was going to be some kind of reaction, but I, I thought it might be Black Widow, mm -hmm. but I'm very happy that it is Raya because I just cannot wait to see this thing, and now I don't have to risk my life to do it, Jim, so I'm, I'm thrilled. Hadn't we heard that Disney wasn't necessarily happy with what happened with the live-action Belong? I don't think that this premiere access thing makes a lot of sense because mm -hmm. it doesn't really, it probably won't drive subscribers, but I think they're still experimenting with it. So I think they did a live action Disney movie. They're saying, well, let's try and animate it and see if that'll work better. Uh. Something tells me that Disney 
saw the numbers for crudes too, mm-hmm. maybe, or trolls, and uh, said, okay, this okay. is viable. Okay. Let's go this way. That, yeah. All right. That certainly makes sense. Did you get to see crudes too, by the way, Jim? I am still trying to get there. I actually hope to get out of the house and do something pleasant soon. Well, it's actually going to be on demand on Friday, Jim, so you don't even have to leave your house. Problem solved. Okay. Now, okay, moving to, again, as we continue through the Walt Disney Animation Studios and uh, Disney Pictures announcements, you talked a little bit about Encanto previously? Yeah. It's so interesting how you learn about these things, too, because I heard about Encanto Mm -hmm. maybe two years ago because they were doing a outreach program to... Hispanic employees within the company mm-hmm. to get involved with Encanto. Hmm. And I said, oh, they're making a movie about a Latin culture? Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And then, of course, now we have Encanto, which is set in Colombia mm-hmm. and looks very cool. I, I love that little kind of teaser footage. That was both the frustration and the delight <laughs> of the Investor's Day presentation. It was always, you know, okay, and we're going to show you footage now. And it's like, oh, are we going to actually see the footage this time or are we going to get a countdown clock and a piece of generic music? And Yeah. This one was really sort of a place-making teaser, right? Right. But there, there was footage, I guess, after. Or there wasn't footage. It was Lin-Manuel explaining the craft and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. It wasn't actually, you didn't really see anything from the movie, but that's the stuff that we didn't get to see. Because our friend Lin-Manuel doing the music, and I think he has a story credit, too. This is November 2021. And speaking of things we did not get to see as part of the investors' presentation, but you have sort of hinted about this one, the Chippendale Rescue Rangers hybrid film. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that I knew about it, uh, they revealed at the Investors' Day, which is that one of the Rescue Rangers is still 2D. Mm -hmm. The other one is 3D animation. And uh, so I think that's kind of an interesting twist. Mm -hmm. And we got, what what about that cast, Jim? John John Mulaney and Adam Sandberg? Andy Sandberg? How do do we feel about that? That's an impressive vocal cast. Yeah. So this one, not theatrical, Disney Plus, right? Disney Plus, yeah. Okay. Beyond that, we've talked previously about the Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio. I love the fact that they did as much hype for David Lowry's Peter Pan and Wendy as they did the, the Zemeckis film. So yeah. given such a nice job that David did with Pete's Dragon, I, I love that they did that as well. But what do we think about them really leaning into the 1940s design for Pinocchio? I mean, these are two of the most exciting live action adaptations, I think, mm-hmm. that are being worked on. and. I think that they're going to just be cool movies that aren't affected by the fact that they're going to Disney+. Plus. I mean, it would be a shame if they said, okay, they're going to Disney+, Plus. that means $20 million is off your budget or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm really excited about both. And I love that they confirmed Yara Shahidi as Tinkerbell and Jude Law as Captain Hook. I think that's mm-hmm. awesome for the yep. uh, Lowry movie. And did you notice that they, they talked about Little Mermaid and the Lion King prequel. Mm-hmm. And it seems like those are going to theaters. Yeah. And you saw the the Bill Gates news yesterday, right? No. What is it? At the very same time, we were watching the footage of the trucks with the vaccine rolling out of the factory and them getting on the planes and the first people being shot with them. But here's Bill Gates basically saying, well, you know, if we're talking about a real return to nor- normalcy, that's the first quarter of 2022. Yeah. I can't help but think, given 
where Little Mermaid is. I think we talked in the last show that they were about to start production again. Yeah, yeah, they're they never actually shot anything mm-hmm. before the pandemic, but they are shooting soon. So. Okay, all right. And if you yeah, if you think about where that is, and certainly where the the Lion King prequel is, both of those are 2022. Oh, at the earliest, but at least Lion King. You just need a bunch of sweaty nerds in a room at computers. <laughs> you don't actually need anybody. Wow. Okay. Out there filming. So. Uh, please insult a few more audience members. I'm sure there'll be no blowback. <laughs> Moving on, we also have Walt Disney Animation Studios doing its first series for Disney Plus. And I can't help but notice. All right. So if we go Baymax, we go Zootopia, we go Tiana, and we go Moana. Does it surprise you at all that those four properties are also going into the Disney theme parks? No, it does not surprise me at all. Although, if that Moana water thing opens at Epcot, I'll eat my hat, Jim, because that seems like the least necessary thing in that park but we will we'll see about that okay did you notice that the that baymax and zootopia plus which Mm. is a very awful Mm -hmm. name yep those are both technically like micro series there's a series of shorts Mm -hmm. and then tiana and moana are Mm. described as long form animated series so 20 minutes all right i was confused because i've been hearing zootopia there were bigger plans for this. So it, it kind of yeah. surprised me that, that really that one. Yeah, this is filler. But did you see who's directing the Zootopia shorts are the great Trent Corey, who just directed Once Upon a Snowman on oh. Disney Plus, which I loved, mm-hmm. starring our friend Josh Gad. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello, Ava. There we go. And Josie Trinidad, who's an amazing artist oh, at Disney yeah. and just one of the like stars over there. So oh. I, I'm very excited about that. That's killer. Okay. No, I, I, I love that team. What did you think of, of Jennifer's story about Disney collaborating with the, the Pan-African entertainment company, Kugali? Yeah, I- Iwaju. Yeah. It sounds great. I mean, the animation doesn't look super cool from that one still. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there'll be a little bit more refinement. But I loved Jennifer's story, and I love that they're collaborating with mm-hmm. this African company. I think it's going to be really, really cool. I know that everybody at, everybody at animation is very excited about it, so... They're excited. I'm excited, Jim. All right. That covers what Walt Disney Feature Animation is up to. If we pivot now to Pixar, had you known Turning Red was in the works? Yes, I had, Jim. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know how I'm supposed to say this, but yes, I did know that that was in the works, and I was very glad to see something from it. Mm -hmm. I had heard that that uh, Red Panda was the cutest thing ever, and it is very much so, and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the directorial debut of Domishi, feature mm-hmm. debut, I should say, mm-hmm. who directed the Oscar-winning Bao. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the art style, Jim? I thought it was so cool. Once upon a time, Nancy was a docent at the Denver Zoo. To this day, she talks about how much she loved the red pandas that were at that <laughs> zoo. So it was like, from the moment the little girl, May, transformed into a giant red panda, it's like, oh, dear Lord. I just start clearing room at the house for all of the plush. Yeah. Well, did you see the Luca footage too? I mean, yes, it wasn't. Yeah. They showed the trailer, but there was a little bit of footage in the presentation. Mm-hmm. I thought that looked really great too. Clearly, one of the boys is different from the other, you know, yes. and or at least from an appetite point of view. That genuinely looks charming. I'm very much looking forward to when that hits theaters in June of next year. But Turning Red is March of 2022. And then, yep. again, I apologize, because you've been sort of hinting 
at this film for a while. Yeah, I didn't know it was ready yet, but I'm glad that I'm glad that the world knows now. Okay. But yeah. So let's now talk about Lightyear because in the past you have sort of hinted at we're not quite done with the Toy Story story, but this is yeah. kind of an interesting bend on that. Yeah. Well, yeah, what I was trying to hint mm. was that we weren't done with the Toy Story story, but it was not going to be like the next movie wasn't Toy Story 5 and mm-hmm. and the next movie is not Toy Story 5. Mm-hmm. It's Lightyear, which excuse my uh, terminology Jim, but I've heard is just a balls out sci-fi extravaganza. And the way that Pete described it was, you know, that when they were coming up with with to- the first Toy Story, they thought, "Oh, this must be this toy must come from a really cool sci-fi mm-hmm movie and so they just finally decided to make that movie which i think is so cool and then chris evans is going to be voicing lightyear which is perfect of course oh no no, um, no that, that's absolutely ingenious but yeah i mean a weird sort of way this this expands the toy story mythology in a fun way because face it the way andy and his friends react in the 1995 toy story when they have a buzz Lightyear, they lose their mind right so yeah. this plugs in beautifully. Yeah, and, and Angus McLean, I think, is like a total genius, mm-hmm. and he's got great history with the Toy Story franchise because he directed Hawaiian Vacation, the oh, Toy Story right. tune, which I love. That's right. And Toy Story of Terror, mm-hmm. which are both essential pieces of the Toy Story mythology, I think. So <laughs> Well, and also from an action point of view, uh he was also brave, wasn't he? He was the, the co-director on Brave. He co-directed Finding Dory. Oh, my mistake. My mistake. All right. I'm Get getting, with it, Jim. I'm sorry. It's the holiday season, folks. Too much eggnog. All right. <laughs> now, in addition to these projects going theatrical, we have a new series of short films, Pixar Popcorn, mm-hmm. with the idea of sort of tiny little vignettes with characters, right? Yeah, I- I wonder what those are exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, besides just a naked attempt at extending the franchises. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're like pieces of repurposed animation or deleted scenes they finished animating. Because I think Pete described them as like micro series. So I I think they're not going to be any longer than a minute or or so. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm very curious. But we're going to we'll find out soon enough, Jim. Okay. What is your sense in regard to Doug Day's and... Well, again, that's dropping in the fall of 2021, and then we get a a Cars franchise. These seem like, again, shorts, though, right? I mean... Yeah, they're shorts. They're, okay. yeah, they'll be like forky-ish mm-hmm. length. Okay. Um, Doug Days is, is written and directed by Bob Peterson, mm-hmm. who we love and who did the great Forky Ask a Question series on Disney+. Plus. So... Mm-hmm. I'm really excited. I thought that footage they saw, showed was really cute mm-hmm. of Doug with the puppies. Getting the needle-sharp teeth puppy <laughs> thing. It's like, oh, all right, you nailed Perfect. it. Perfect, yeah. Yeah. All right. And then the cars thing is supposed to be like a road trip, sort of a mm-hmm. cross-country, I guess. So they're going to be stopping in different places. I don't know. I mean, whatever. Sure. Okay. Sell some more Matchbox toys. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe we won't be quite that naked. But we we then have what they're describing as our Pixar's first original series, Win or Lose, which is a middle school softball team, but in the week up to a championship game. But each episode tells the story of this week 
from the perspective of a different member of the team or the coach or that sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of a cartoon Groundhog Day, maybe? Sort of? I, I think it sounds very cute and very Pixar. And mm-hmm. I've I, I known about this for a little while, too. And everybody says it's really, really charming. So, yeah, I can't wait. Plus, that that kind of teaser anima- uh, image sort of looked almost Steven universe the it kind did. of art style. It did. Pretty, pretty exciting. All right. When Disney Plus was being walked out, there was all of this talk about Monsters at Work, the series that was based on Monsters, Inc., and there was no mention of that at all. Monsters at Work, Jim, mm-hmm. is a little late to work. Mm-hmm. I think that they're still working some stuff out. Okay. You know, it's being overseen by TV animation, and they're working with an overseas studio, mm-hmm. and right now they're saying it's still on tap for 2021, but... If they didn't mention it, to me, that sounds like it could be 2022. Okay. Although, okay. you know, it, it's not a Pixar property, so I, I also understand why they didn't say anything, because it's a Disney anima- Disney TV animation thing. So I oh. get it. Okay. Just It, it just seemed weird. It's still coming. Yeah. Okay. All right. You've assuaged my fears. Pivoting now to Lucasfilm, in addition to the 10 limited series that are coming in the two theatrical films, we've got two animated projects. We've got Star Wars Vision, which, again, a series of shorts. But they're anime. There we go. That's cool. And, of course, we've known about the Bad Batch, which is sort of you know stepping out from Star Wars Clone Wars. What did you think, though, of the announcement of... The project that's supposed to have Lucasfilm Animation and Industrial Light Magic teaming up. Uh, the Droid Tale? Yeah. I mean, I love Industrial Light Magic so much, Jim. Mm-hmm. You know this. You know how many people from the studio we've had on, on the Mission Impossible show. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited. I like that C-3PO and R2-D2 will be back, but there'll be a new droid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I mean, it, I'm sure it'll harken back to the droids cartoon, which I also mm-hmm. still love. Yep. I know it's cheesy, but, you know. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. And again, this is described as a special. Right. Under an hour or something to that effect. So, yeah. Okay. Marvel also talked up theatrical releases, limited series, did also mention that, you know, it's animated series. What if is coming? Yeah. Alternate history of it, go the beloved superheroes and so many of the folks who actually portrayed the characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe have come back to voice their characters for this. They keep showing the Haley Atwell yeah. Captain Britain, I believe. is the- Yeah. It sounded like that was Chadwick Boseman, too. Yeah. So that could end up being the last appearance of Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther in the MCU. We'll have to poke at that one. Yes. Then things get interesting. Okay, we, we get to Fox animation. was kind of concerning during the Investor's Day. No one actually ever said the name Blue Sky Studios. They did, however, talk, yeah. talk about that we've got a new Ice Age movie coming, The Adventures of Buck Wild, but didn't mention Blue Sky. Well, did you see that footage? Because that was not Blue Sky. Oh, Okay. Yeah, that an- that animation was like Taiwanese knockoff Blue Sky. It was one hundred and ten percent. I will go to my mm-hmm. dying breath on this. That was not Blue Sky animation. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So. All right then. Uh, that, okay, I I get that now, and so I should. I guess I should also assume that the Night at Museum animated. 
Not blue sky. Not yeah. blue sky either. Okay. All right. That one we should see in 2021, though. My understanding is Adventures of the Buckwild, not till 2022. Yeah. What did we think of Diary of a Wimpy Kid as an animated feature? I think that's a cool idea. I think that that is something that Blue Sky should definitely be doing, right? I mean, they Mm. did such an amazing job with Peanuts, kind of Mm -hmm. transitioning that illustrated style to -hmm. to animation. I just feel like, come on. Like, Mm -hmm. that would be perfect for them. Mm -hmm. Should I drive by, Jim? I mean, I'm in Connecticut. I should just go go (laughs) see if the lights are on. Just go rattle the door. See what happens. Okay, you know. okay. All right. I get the idea of, of them continuing Diary of a Wimpy Kid, you know, film franchise. I mean, more than 250 million copies of the books have been sold since May of 2004. And first, second, and fourth, and ninth installments of the series were, were made into movies by 20th Century Fox. And speaking of popular book series, I guess I'm really not keeping up with children's literature, but Dogman? is evidently huge. Apparently. It's a, a graphic novel series done by Dave Palaiki uh, for Scholastic. Nine books to date. First one released in 2016. Word just broke that DreamWorks is working on an animated feature on these, right? Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to do the same thing like they did with Captain Underpants, where they kind mm. of farm out the animation. And if that if you know they'll do the same thing because I thought I I really like the art style of Captain Underpants and I thought they did a great job uh, mm-hmm. with that whole situation. They've got Peter Hastings coming in to direct this film. We just had a, re- a revival of Animaniacs, and Peter was very very hands on with the original uh, Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain. Also had a hand in the next film we'll be talking about, also a DreamWorks project. But first. Got to do a quick commercial break here, folks. Peter, as I understand it, was one of the very first people through the door on Shrek. Oh, really? On the Chris Farley version? Yeah. And if I'm remembering the story correctly, it was one of these things he had to step away due to some family issues. And just today, the National Film Registry selected Shrek to be one of the, the film's taken in by the Library of Congress as it being considered cultural, historically, or aesthetically significant. And this is really kind of a big deal because it's the first DreamWorks animation film to be selected to do this, and it's the first animated feature not produced or distributed by Disney to earn this honor. Okay. The first Shrek, I really enjoyed that one. And each of the sequels kind of took something away. I mean, I, I will say this much, Shrek Ever After... 2010, I think, was the best of the bunch when it comes to the sequels. But the sequel, I, at least in this case, I felt like took away from what made the first Shrek so special, so much fun. Hey, folks. After Drew and I finished recording our episode of Fine Tuning and it occurred to me, I got this story wrong. Peter Hastings was not the director of Shrek that left the project. That was Kelly Asbury. Shrek was actually directed by Andrew Adam- Adamson, and he was working with Kelly Asbury on it, but she left to go direct Spirit, Stallion of the Samaron, and was replaced by story artist Vicki Jensen. All right, back to your show already in progress. On the other hand, if we're talking about animated sequels, Rescue is Down Under, you've been teasing the story that you've, you've been doing for Collider about this 
That's 1991 or 1990. 1990. It's the 30th anniversary, Jim. There yeah. we go. When is this going to bubble up on Collider? This will be up by the time this art, this interview is up. I've just got to got to do some pruning, Jim. It's a cool 9,000 words. So um, it's got some great, great stories, folks. So we're going to touch on a few things, but you you really should go check out the full length article here. So I love how you really do lean into the fact that. In a lot of ways, Rescue is Down Under is, is from the animation industry point of view, a very important film because there were these jumps forward in technology. I mean, so much of what had been used to produce animated films was the same stuff since Snow White in 37. And with this film, that they made a huge leap forward, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was the first movie with CAPS, which was mm-hmm. the computer animation production system or something. And mm-hmm. it was the first fully digital movie. And mm-hmm. so that's what a lot of the article is about, just about getting this system up and running, getting it through all the kinks and just the amount of hard work that it took to pull this off because it was not it was not easy. It wasn't easy and it wasn't inexpensive either. Yeah. This was a big investment and didn't have a whole lot of people in the building who were championing it. No, I mean, one of the thrills of this uh, putting this article together was that I, I Zoomed with Peter Schneider, Jim, who we both know and love, mm-hmm. and he lives in Venice now. He was drinking a lot of wine, um, and it was a great conversation. It was the perfect conversation where mm-hmm. even looking at the transcript, you see me going, just drink a little more wine, Peter. Just drink a little more wine. <laughs> You know, he talks about he was there a week, mm-hmm. and these two guys, Dave English and uh, I forget who the other guy's name was, and they came to him and said, we have to do this. Mm-hmm. Roy totally signed off, but it was a $12 million project, and getting that $12 million out of executives that were newly appointed and probably worried about keeping their job, it was a hard sell. So you got Frank Wells, who's resisting this, because again, we're <laughs> a movie company, we're an R&D company, but... Uh, right. So... Talk about Roy calling it his chips. Right. So Roy went out to lunch with Frank, and he said, and this is a story 100% from Schneider, yep. who was very close with Roy. They went to they went to lunch every week mm-hmm. because Roy told Peter, listen, nobody cares about animation, but if they see you with me, they're going to know that you are you mean business. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very sweet. But Roy said to Frank Wells, Frank, how did you get this job? <laughs> And uh, Frank said, well, you did, Roy. Who put you there, Frank? Well, you did. Then write the check for $10 million. And so that's what he did. (laughs) That kills me. That kills me. When you think about the talent in this film, about the amazing animation that Glenn Keane did for Marahute, the the giant golden eagle that sort of drives the story. Yeah. But when this film is getting underway... It's a different version of Marahuti, right? Yeah, there was a Marahuti that was talking all the time, which I think was uh, kind of weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that mm-hmm. Brenda Chapman kind of talked to Glenn and they came up with this amazing sequence. And I think that when you watch it, it's just, it's very clearly very Brenda Chapman. Um, just as some of the flying scenes are very much Chris Sanders, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can kind of see the story artists at work in those sequences. But uh, yeah, she she convinced them that this eagle should shut up, Jim, and just kind of tell the story beautifully. And I, and I love the anecdote. I, ta- I got to talk to Brenda, mm-hmm. 
And she said she was inspired by an old true life adventure about a boy and an eagle. Yes, and yes. Do we know what that was? That was a Wonderful World of Disney episode. Again, in okay. fact, I will have to chase that down and throw it in the show notes. But I, I think that's actually one of the ones you can watch on Disney+. Plus. Oh, wow. Okay. So Glenn and Brenda win that battle. But there's another battle 30 years after the fact that not Disney's proudest moment. Can you talk about this one? Yeah, so I I didn't realize how much of a sore point this was, but, Mm -hmm. you know, at at one point the little boy was an Aboriginal kid, and Aboriginal children in in Australia have this very dark skin and incredibly blonde hair, Mm -hmm. and this was something that that, um, that Mike Gabriel really, really wanted to include. Mm -hmm. Picozzi Hunt, who was the production designer, is an African-American gentleman. Actually, he's French, I believe. Mm -hmm. But he really wanted that to go through. And, um, yeah, there's this really damning quote that I got from somebody, which was that Katzenberg just told them, nobody wants to see that little boy of color. And I I want to point out here before people start marching outside of Jeffrey's house that that Jeffrey evidently, you have a— Gabriel saying that Jeffrey was least gentle about it, suggesting that yes. by making the character Aboriginal, that would cut down your box office worldwide. Yeah, well, I mean, what are you going to cut down when your box office is diddly squat? <laughs> you know, well, that's the we'll we'll get to that in a moment. So, all right, so <laughs> this was supposed to be an important Disney film, and and one of the things I think that clearly indicates this is who they lined up to voice the villain, and of course, Academy Award winner George C. Scott. But that didn't go all that well either, did it? Well, I think we have benefited tremendously from this uh, <laughs> performance. But, yep. yeah, he was a pain in the ass, I think, from from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to kind of tell him what was going on. Although, you know, he provides a voice that same year. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it was recorded after he started work on Rescuers. But for that anti-drug cartoon... That's the right. all-star cartoon all-stars. He's That's in that. Right. But, you know, he didn't understand what it was. Mm-hmm. He was bitching about the air quality in Burbank. And then he shows up to the recording studio, like smoking on a cigarette. But you're going to get a lot of great George C. Scott stories, mm-hmm. including him actually dunking himself in a bucket of water to properly do his death scene. <laughs> Although he became such, such a pain in the ass that he was actually replaced for a few lines, which I don't know if anybody knows that, but Frank Walker. Well, Frank has done that quite a number of times in his career, but we've told the story about how Rescuers Down Under got made, that, you know, Eisner came through the door, it's the Paramount playbook, you make sequels to your top-grossing film, so, you know, he's like top-grossing animated, you know, Rescuers, in fact, you... That's the first time I've seen that number, that, that $200 million for, for rescuers. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, that's how it, they, that's how they justified it, at least. And, you know, I have Peter Schneider talks about how they just there was just no sort of at that point, mm-hmm. there was no creativity mm-hmm. with them. It worked at Paramount. It's going to work again. They're going to do a sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's, they came through the door and it just sort of looked, you know, let, let's do what, what was successful at Paramount. But, I thought that it was a wonderful pairing that the rescue was down under with the prince and a proper uh, Mickey featurette. But you revealed that it's really more about where you don't have any confidence in this movie. Yeah, it was kind of a la- it was an 11th hour thing. Mm. Although Peter Schneider claims that it was just about kind of making him hip again and selling a lot of plush, but that they stuck the 
Mickey Mouse shirt on there because mm-hmm. they wanted more incentive for people to go. And and they also, the weasels from Who Framed Roger Rabbit are in that short. They and there are. was some thinking that, yeah. you know, they could drift off of that mm-hmm. kind of popularity. I don't know. Mm. But I actually tracked down the sort of interstitial material in between the two shorts, which is, or in between the movie and the short, which is really interesting. You found the countdown clock? Yes, oh. it's online. Oh, yeah. no. I'll send it to you. All right, yeah. no, I, that was actually in the theater. That was weirdly enjoyable, but it was, I was such an animation goon. Everybody else gets up to go get popcorn to go to the bathroom, and I sit and watch the countdown clock to see all of, you know, the, the weird little stuff they did with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all, it's it's original animation. It's beautiful looking, too. I'll, I'll send it to you. But, okay, yeah. no, no, I'd love to take a look at it again. But, okay, so... It's November 1990, you know, the rescue is down under and, you know, Prince and the Proper go out in the theaters and boom, crash. Uh, and, and, but at the same time, people still talk about what happened with Treasure Planet and how going out into theaters against the second Harry Potter movie? Yes. Okay. But nobody saw Home Alone coming. It became the box office behemoth that it did, and you know that became the default family film for the holidays. So Mike Gabriel, for years yet to come, you know, associates Macaulay McCulkin with the worst weekend of his life. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that fateful day at the airport? Yeah, the, he's in line and security, and who's behind him but Macaulay Culkin? And you know, I think that when you read this story, mm-hmm. it's about it's about Mike as much mm-hmm. um, as anybody else. And I think you get a real sense of who he is as an artist mm-hmm. and um, sort of the wounds that are still not quite healed. <laughs> and, you know, he told me when we started, he said, this is the first time I've watched the movie in 30 years. Was like, wow. I watched it right before our call. Okay. Um, and I think there's a lot of stuff he's very proud of. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think the movie is way better than anybody gives it credit for. Mm-hmm. So, no, same thing. You and I are very, very much yes. on the same page. Um, but he sees Michael Culkin and he's, he wants so desperately <laughs> to tell him how his film has impacted him throughout the years. And he said, there was just no way I could do it without seeming like I was going to stab him <laughs> to death or something. So, Sadly, that conference, but I just thought that was an amazing story. Uh Like, after all this time to run into him at the airport, it's just very funny. Because he he tells a funny story, too, that I didn't include in the the piece, but Mm -hmm. that he would open up the paper Mm -hmm. and he'd see Macaulay Culkin in front of a turkey dinner. Mm -hmm. And then he'd open up again and the kid would be wearing a Santa hat. And he'd open up again and, and the movie just went on and on and... It covered all of these holidays. He had a Happy New Year uh, headband on, and it was just this. He just saw this face that was just laughing at him as his movie just completely disappeared from the face of the earth. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty funny. But that's, that's you a know, great story. Holy cow! Yeah. Well, uh, uh, seriously, folks, uh, we we have just sort of skimmed the surface of. And again, this is a nine thousand word piece. Great, great stories about rescuers down under. And one of the things that I personally enjoyed so much about this is you really got into, you know, why, in a, in a weird sort of way, this is a historically significant animated film. That, that the industry stepped through a door with the production of this film and, and really never looked back. Yeah, and the interesting thing, too, especially as you and I have gone to in the past mm-hmm. 10 years, a thousand long lead days mm-hmm. where we learn about 
how they made the octopus from Finding Dory and all this stuff, and they did not publicize this incredible breakthrough at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just flabbergasting to me that they would not put this out front of this movie. And and you can even see in some of the reviews from the time that, Mm. like Charles Solomon, who you and I know is a very, you know, astute guy and an animation historian. Yeah, absolutely. In his review for the LA Times, he's he's sort of trying to figure out what is different about this. You can even read it, you know. Mm. But, yeah, it's just such a shame. It's a real shame. So I wanted to set the record straight, and I got to talk to amazing people. And I I was so happy to talk to Kathleen Gavin. Mm Mm-hmm who is, I think, sort of an unsung hero in that period of animation between what she did on Nightmare Nightmare Before Christmas Mm -hmm. and Toy Story and all these movies. She's actually in... Did you watch the Movies That Make Us episode of Nightmare Before Christmas on Netflix? Yes, yeah, yeah. And she's she's interviewed there, and she talks about her desk and how much she wanted her desk up in San Francisco when they were making that movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, well worth your time, I hope. So, yeah, no, check no, that no, out. No, 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 definitely, definitely. And th- speaking of things that they are well worth your time, the, what's going on with Light the Fuse right now? Oh, I don't even care anymore, Jim. No, it's, it's going. I don't know who's on this week. Mm-hmm. I'm so discombobulated. But, yeah, we're starting our Light the Wick miniseries in January. Mm-hmm. We are plugging away at trying to convince Keanu to show up. <laughs> To, to call us to make it happen. So hopefully that'll happen. And uh, yeah, a lot of lot of stuff coming up. So oh, stick well, with it. Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay. Well, on, on our side of the fence, we of course have Disney Dish with Lentesta, and we've been doing a bunch of Bandcamp exclusive shows that are tied to the Joseph Bankowitz Epcot archive, which just gets stranger and stranger the deeper we dig. I'm going to be working on a brand new episode of Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams. Just did the penultimate uh, episode of Looking at Lucasfilm with, with Dan Z. We're going to be recording the last episode, he and I together anyway, in the next week or two. Got a new Universal Joint that I need to record with Dustin Fuse. Likewise, we're going to be recording a new I Want That this Friday. So lots of stuff heading your way. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts. And not only rate and recommend Light the Fuse, but also the show you're listening to right now, Fine Tuning, that would be very helpful. If you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. If you want to keep tabs us on Twitter and Instagram, that's at Jim Hill Media. And if you're looking for us on Facebook, that's Jim Hill Media News. That's going to do it for now, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.